Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Kathleen Shine is the author of Kunstlers in Paradise, and this is her second time on the podcast. She is the author of The Grammarians, The Three Weissmans of Westport, and The Love Letter, among other novels. Kathleen has contributed to The New Yorker, The New York Review of Books, The New York Times Magazine, and The New York Times Book Review. She lives in Los Angeles. Welcome, Kathleen. Thanks for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to Discuss Kunstlers in Paradise. Well, I'm really happy to be back. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. Thanks so much. We were just talking about LA weather and all of that. And your book, of course, you know, opens with somebody who has never set foot in LA or the US, basically, except for New York, like looking 
and seeing what this craziness that is LA is all about. So it's like perfect uh, to have you sitting there for this <laughs> for this interview. So tell listeners a little about the Kunstlers and how they came from Vienna and and this, the whole idea for this book and all of that. Well, the Kunstlers are a family, uh, a Jewish family who live in Vienna. And the father's a composer and pianist, and the grandfather has a a store a, a department store and the mother is an actress and they they live a you know sort of high bourgeois life in Vienna until the 1930s and and then the anschluss happens in 1938 and the nazis come in to Vienna and they have to get out and they do and they have to leave their lives behind as so many people did and they end up in Los Angeles. And a lot of people have said, why did so many? They joined a community of German-speaking Jewish, mostly Jewish, not all, artists, intellectuals, writers, composers, conductors, architects in Los Angeles. And people have said, well, why did they go to Los Angeles, which was at that time not exactly a locus of high culture? And the one of the reasons was they could get jobs there because of Hollywood. And Hollywood reached out to people, to Jews in the in in Europe trying to help to get them out. And there was something called the European Film Fund that helped uh, sponsored people. So that's how the Kunstlers arrive in Los Angeles and they arrive in Santa Monica. And they are just stunned by what L.A. is, because if you the first time you you come here, it, it is kind of stunning and particularly coming from the atmosphere that they were coming from um, in Vienna. And the book starts out with them arriving in Los Angeles and becoming part of this community and. Later on in the book, Mamie, the daughter, the 11-year-old daughter, is, we now see her as a 93-year-old grandmother living in a little house in Venice, and her grandson comes, uh, Julian is her grandson, he's 24, and he comes to help her out because she is, she has uh, hurt her wrist and he is just going nowhere. He doesn't know what he's doing. Um, he's just drifting in New York. And his parents basically ship him off to help grandma. And then the lockdown comes. So it's uh, Grandma Mamie, um, this kind of wild, eccentric, artistic woman in her 90s. And Julian, this at loose ends uh, 20-something and and uh, and Mamie's um, helper Agatha stuck together in this little bungalow. And some someone said to me, "Horror or comedy?" And <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of you know. I hope it's more comedy than horror, but you know, there's a level of like just horror on both <laughs> their parts. That oh my god, I'm stuck in this little house with this person from another generation. And then to fill up the time and also because she sees that her grandson is just drifting and to try to give him some sense of where he comes from and what life can really be like, Mamie starts telling him stories of her 
life in Hollywood, in Hollywood, in Los Angeles, really, and in Pacific Palisades, Santa Monica, in the 40s, where she knew a lot, you know, she was part of this community of very, very famous people, many actors and actresses, but, uh, and directors, but also musicians and composers. And so that's, that's how they make their way through the, through the pandemic. Amazing. Going back to when the family first came over, you detail sort of their windy path through Europe and then on the steamship going across and the not waving of the handkerchief and all that. Is there a boat, like, did you base this on a particular boat that was like way late in the harbor as Germany invaded Poland? Like, was there a ship like that? Yes, actually there was. And um, I got some of that information from, uh, there's a wonderful book written by a woman who was very important in the Hollywood community named Salka Fiertel, who wrote a memoir about it. And she was a very close friend of, of Greta Garbo's and some rumored she was Garbo's lover. Who knows? She, she and her husband had already moved to LA, but she went, she had come to back to Europe to do some research on a film that she was hoping to write for Garbo. And she was on, she ended up on the last boat out. And so the descriptions of the uh, ship and of the extra 400 people getting on just to get out as soon as they realized, you know, most of them Americans, they realized war had really started and starting out in, in, in France and, not know, and by the time they got to England, the the war was on. So yes, that that's based on a real ship. I thought it was funny. You know, you have such a like sense of humor, and in such like an understated way. But in the book, where uh, the grandfather, who by the way I kind of love, when uh, they were saying they were not happy about it, and anyway, he was like, "Oh, they were saying we're so lucky. You know, we're lucky we got out." and it's like, yes, we're lucky, lucky Jews, you know? Like, <laughs> the lucky, lucky Jews. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at us. But I do feel like the way you wrote about his relationship in the family and to the daughter and even their acquisition of English and how they settled in and his sort of tobacco smelling, I could like smell this grandfather so clearly the way you wrote him and how he's like hanging back on the beach when Mamie first sees the ocean and she's like carefree and running all over and he's just like sitting back on the bench. And I'm like, this is such a perfect view of how they, they saw this new world and how they could see their roles in it. And some people just could dive right in and, and do whatever. And then others were, were so, you know, entrenched in the old way of doing things that they were happy to just sit back and be like, I don't think I can engage here, but it it is so wild. How many families were displaced like this? And what was it like? I mean, it's not its not the easiest thing traveling to a new place, especially when you can't go back. Well, thats that was one of the things I, I, I read a lot of memoirs while I was writing this. And for the, you know, for some people, it worked out wonderfully. And they just, you know, found a way to fit in and to find work. And for other people, the the upheaval was just something they never got beyond. And I also thought, you know, with a with a um, child, with someone who's 11 or 12 years old, they can pick up the language easily. Um, they're just able to integrate um, more quickly. 
But for the grandfather, he doesn't even want to, you know, he doesn't want to give up the Austria that he grew up in and that he believed in. And even when all these horrible things are happening, he still thinks they're an aberration and where he grew up and what he loved is the best. And I thought that that just sort of typified a certain kind of older person, which a kind of older person that I'm rapidly becoming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm glad you brought that up because I, I liked their, their relationship. And then I liked the relationship between Mamie as a grandmother and her grandson. And I think there's something very special and very interesting um, and profound about relationships between children and their grandparents where, you know, skipping that generation, they can see each other better. They're not all caught up in whatever rebellion is going on at the moment or um, trying to separate or, you know, it's, they can see each other as individuals much better than when you're looking at your parents, you're seeing my parents. When you're looking at your grandmother, you're seeing grandma, but you're also seeing this individual human being. So that was very interesting to to write about that relationship. And as one of my friends said, the reason the reason grandparents and grandchildren get along so well is they have a common enemy. Yes, I've heard oh. that. <laughs> so true. I was really close with one of my grandmothers. I mean, I loved them both, but one in particular um, who is like a big storyteller, the way that maybe oh, ends nice. up becoming. And so I don't know. I felt so uh, you're lucky. Yeah, I, I had that. a grandmother too. Yeah, yeah. So it, it really. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's something you keep with you forever. It, it's wonderful. Yeah, and yeah. unmitigated love too. Not yeah. no no expectations. Yes. Yes. No, no judgment. Yeah, it's just oh, oh my grandchild, you're perfect, and I yes. love you. <laughs> I mean, so many writers have written about the pandemic in different ways: addressing it, not addressing it, writing it into it. This, you know, the pandemic is like a centerpiece and that that's what created this whole thing for you in the book. So how did this happen? Were you sitting in the pandemic and thinking, how could I make this into powerful fiction? Or like, how did, how did you decide and when did you decide to use this as a, as a narrative tool? Well, I had started, um, I was very interested in this community of um, emigres. And so I had started Um, thinking about them, researching them, reading about them. And I wanted very much to write about them, but I really didn't know how. And I had started some of the Mamie as a child stuff, but I didn't want to write, you know, just historical fiction because Mm -hmm. one gets sort of caught up in too much detail. And you, I just wasn't sure what to do. I knew what I wanted to write about, but I didn't know what it meant or how Mm -hmm. it it. And so, yeah, the, the lockdown came and I was just sitting in the garden and, and thinking, well, that's it. I can't write this book. I'll never write another book. I'll never write another word. Um, <laughs> everything is terrible. Everyone in New York is dying. Every time I'd call my mother, I would just hear sirens in the background. And I was feeling terribly guilty. And, and um, you know, cause, because L.A. was quiet. It, it 
they, the two cities um, experienced, I think, the the pandemic so differently. L.A., you, there was no traffic. There were no helicopters. It was absolutely quiet. No cars on the streets. You could hear all the birds and the bees, and it was beautiful. And New York, the just sirens and fear and death. And, and I realized as I was sitting in the garden, smelling the jasmine and feeling, you know, guilty, but also thinking, God, this, it's so beautiful. I realized that this was something I had encountered in a lot of these memoirs, the emigres coming here, loving LA, being so happy to be near a beach, to take a walk on a beach and, and being safe. And at the same time, feeling this tremendous guilt for the family and friends they left behind and for their world that was being completely destroyed at that, at that same moment. So once that I made that connection and that, that bridge happened, I kind of realized how Julian would fit in and that the that Mamie could be telling him these stories, which, you know, would be for someone who he's a rather callow youth to begin with. And, um, you know, and this is something that can make could make him sort of grow. And uh, and I also felt that these stories needed to be passed on and I could help pass them on through Mamie passing them on to to Julian. Love that. That's amazing. So you did write again. All was not lost. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com <laughs> I did. I, I really thought, well, this is it. I've hit a wall and, you know, too depressed. It's too yeah. awful. But I found, and I, I worried, I thought, well, should this ever be over? Mm-hmm. Um, who's going to want to read about it? But then I thought, look, this is where I am. This is what I'm mm-hmm. thinking about. This is what I'm obsessed with. And this is what I have to, to write about whether people, you know, 
read it or not, this is what I'm doing. And I, I think I found a way to, to deal with all of that. That was not just, you know, uh, I'm, you know, we're all victims and everything's terrible. I I think I found a more meaningful um, way to kind and if, and I hope a more funny, a a more readable way to, uh, to deal with it. Well, also like, the whole like if we actually could survive the holocaust we can survive anything do you know like not yeah, like yeah. It, it, like we've gotten through worse than this is sort of you know like almost Boy, you are jewish <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yes, I have a t-shirt that says this too shall pass exactly <laughs> yeah and i i think I, people would be shocked how often I thought about the Holocaust. I think I, I probably every single day in whatever, what would this be? Like, I think about it all the time that like. Yeah, especially I now, I think, you know, with all the political, you know, there's there were so many political echoes here in the mm-hmm. United States that that was rather frightening, actually. But yeah, you kind of can't help but but think about it. And um, especially in a, for me in a situation like that, where, you know, everyone so, I mean, everyone in the world was at risk, but at the same time, they're not comparable, you know, no, they're not know. the same. I, no, they're not the same. It's totally different. And yet there's a, yet there's a, a bridge. There's yeah. a, a link. No, in the I way didn't we, mean. No, I know you didn't mean. Pandemic it. in any way. And, um, you know, it was also, they were both terrible. One was the man-made versus, well, anyway, you know what? I'll drop this, but. Yeah, 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 I, I, yeah. You, Let's talk about the weather. Um, Wait, why? Changing gears. Why was it thought to be bad for you to have a house by the water in LA? Isn't that so odd? Yes. Um, Yes. Well, I actually, I, I think I read that in the same memoir by Salka. It was considered, you know, there's fog. There's a lot of fog in, uh, in Santa Monica and it was just considered unhealthy. And so the, you know, the very, all of the very successful directors or producers or people or actors and actresses who did have houses on the beach, they were, you know, it was like, well, they have air conditioning and, you know, thick windows. So the terrible air, the miasma from, you know, and whereas now we think, oh, it's so healthy and wonderful to be near the, near the water and, and breathe all that nice ionized air. So I thought that was really interesting and funny. But Salka Fertile and her husband lived in this house that they also, she turned it into a kind of salon for or for this community. And it's very moving reading about all the different people who came to her house. And she had a Sunday open house and it was just, and it was a way for people to network, to find jobs for, for the people, the emigres to find each other and um, it was kind of amazing what what you know what she accomplished as a, just as a woman giving Sunday parties. She was so influential. She's a very interesting person, I think. So um, she inspired Mamie in some ways. Huh. Now I want to go read her memoir. <laughs> That's re- it's really good. It's really interesting. Uh, what are you working on now? Well, I had started. I had started thinking about a, a book, but I just, I can't start another book quite yet. I'm, I'm still, I'm still sort of waking up 
from this one. So I'm, I'm working on some book reviews, which is perfect way to sort of, you know, n- and not be doing what I was doing. Cause it's very hard to get these, these German emigres out of my head. And I keep, I keep reading, you know, it's like, oh, but I have a book by Heinrich Mann that I haven't read yet. And um, it, it's as if I'm still doing the research and I can't stop. So um, eventually I will, I will emerge, but I'm not quite ready to move on to the next, uh, to the next book. You could also just keep, you could do something else with it, with that community. I could maybe, I don't know. It's true. I I hate to leave them behind, but I mean, there are a million stories in every, that's, that is true. Right. I mean, that is true. And sometimes I look at all of my books. And I think I would like to take some of the characters from all of them and just put them together and see what happens. Yes. I have to figure out the, the chronology though, because yeah. the ones who were very young when I first wrote the book would be pretty elderly now. So on the other hand, their characters in a book, I can make them any age I want. That was a realization I had with this book. I was I was running back and forth to my neighbors to check her orange tree to see when the oranges were actually out because there's an orange tree in the yes. book. And I didn't want to, you know, have it have oranges at the wrong time. And then at a certain point, I thought, you know what? It's my orange tree. I made it up. I put it there. It, it's magic. It has oranges all the time whenever I want it to. It's a magic orange tree. I <laughs> it, was a, it was a great it was a great revelation that I you know to be the the boss of your characters, which is not entirely true. They kind of you know they kind of get to say what they want to say and you have to listen. but the orange tree I thought I could boss around a little bit. So. <laughs> Ah, that's so funny. What advice do you have for aspiring authors? That's such a hard and good question. And part of me wants to say, you know, read really good books, really good classic books. And part of me wants to say, just sit down and write. The the most important thing, I think, is when you're writing not to judge it as you're writing, to write what it is you want, get it down, however bad you think it is, and then go back. I actually do think that's, I still have to tell myself that because, you know, sometimes I'll type out a sentence and I'll think worst sentence ever (laughs) written. And then I'll, I'll delete it. And then I'll type out the next sentence and I'll think, nope, that's the worst <laughs> ever written. Then I'll delete it. And sometimes I just have to resort to a pencil. So, you know, or a pen. So it's not so, yeah, and just keep going. So keep going. And then at a certain point you stop and you look back and you make it better, but don't be a perfectionist as you're writing. It's that's, that is paralysis. That is for me, that's really the worst. And that's something you have to fight all the time. I think. Yes. That is very good advice. (laughs) Any other books to recommend? Anything you're reading now that you love or LA-based books like yours that you, you know, think are amazing? Oh, I can show you you the the pile. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm reading A Treasury of Yiddish Stories, which I never read when it came out a million years ago. And I just reviewed a collection of Maxine Hong Kingston's work, which uh, which is 
Amazing. And this book is really good. Uh, 100 Saturdays by Michael Frank. Oh, I loved that book. Isn't it? It's wonderful. It's and so good. Beautiful yeah. also. Beautiful book. Yeah. And I'm reading something. I'm actually reviewing it called After Sappho, which is quite interesting and good and odd. Mm. Um, so along with, you know, a novel by Heinrich Mann and another one, another thing by uh, Anna Sagers, I think her name is, there's a book called Transit um, about the, about, about leaving Germany that, that I'm, that I'm, is in my pile, but yeah. And then there's like a million books on my iPad that uh, are, you know, that I'm working my way through. So (laughs) Wow. Oh, I just read, I know, I just read Thank You, Mr. Nixon by Gish mm-hmm. Ben. It's wonderful. That's okay. something, I haven't read any contemporary fiction for uh, years because of doing this. I don't like to read contemporary fiction. <laughs> I don't know if you can see me, but boy, yeah. is it. It keeps something. going in and out. But yeah. Anyway, that's, the, but I started uh, reading that and, sorry, and it's 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 wonderful. It's very very funny and smart. And uh, yeah, that was that was a treat because it was sort of the first piece of fiction I read just to read, not because yeah. I was doing research or or still stuck in Germany in nineteen thirty three. So yeah, that was excellent. Have you read a book by Julie Metz? Now I can't remember the name of it, but it takes place in Vienna during the Holocaust and her. I'm gonna. I'll send you a copy if I. It has okay. like. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I. Orange here, and it was on. My, she was on my podcast. I. I'll look it up and send it to you. But okay. if okay. you're since you're doing this, uh, you know, deep dive, I'll. Uh, <laughs> I'll send it to you. It was very interesting. You worked in a factory, and anyway, yeah. I loved it. But now I'm forgetting everything because I'm very tired. But anyway, I will. Oh yeah. Well, I. I forget the names of my my own characters. I have a list here of the names of the characters in case I have to. <laughs> Is I forget as we're talking. (laughs) Well, I hope you'll come do an event in the store in Santa Monica at some point. I mean, you have a Santa Monica. We would love that. I think that would be great. And and congratulations on all that, all of that stuff. Thank you so much. All right, so. I'll follow up. <laughs> okay. All right, thank you so Bye. much. This is wonderful. I wish I was sitting here on on the beach right now and not freezing here. But anyway, yeah. well, you could be freezing here. That's true. <laughs> That's a good T-shirt. You could be freezing here too. Okay. okay. Bye. Thanks. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. 
add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.